Hello, welcome to Altered Mobility, where we talk about publicly available transportation, public spaces, the ways we get around, and what surrounds us in the public sphere. I'm your host, Cheryl Gross-Glazer. Today's topic is Poetry on Transit, and it is our first episode. I'm very excited here with my coffee to talk to you. And before we get to our topic of the day, we're going to talk about uh, our snapshots in equity, dealing with the years we will be discussing today. Uh, in 1992, the EPA released a report uh, entitled Environmental Equity, Reducing Risk for All Communities. And it's kind of amazing that only about 30 years ago did a report like this come out, that this was not much earlier. It, this report found that racial minority and low-income populations were disappointed proportionately exposed to lead, selected air pollutants, hazardous waste facilities, and other waste products and pesticides. And the report in two volumes discussed the lack of environmental and health data, which was not at the time routinely collected and analyzed by income, race, or ethnicity. And now, to Poetry on Transit. First, what exactly is Poetry on Transit, if you've never seen it on a bus or a subway. Uh, the Rhode Island Public Transportation Authority uh, defines poetry in motion. It's, it's poetry uh, series this way. Poetry in motion not only creates a platform for well-known and emerging poets alike, but also offers the public a little respite from the commercial messages that populate our urban and suburban landscapes. Poetry um, on transit for me is like getting the treat in a Cracker Jack box. It, you never quite know what you're going to get, if you're going to really like it or not, but you're so excited to see it. So how did this program begin? It's actually not been around for that that long. I would have thought it was around for maybe the 60s or the 70s, but maybe that's because my childhood, I actually remember the Miss Subways placards. And there's something about the poetry that I've seen, especially on the New York City subway, that reminds me of that. It's like you're, you're finding out about something that you know nothing about, and it's a little bit of a surprise. Um, much less sexist, I'll say, though. Okay, so it begins with an idea and uh, of one person, but it's also a tale of American moxie meets British literature. So it begins with a native Brooklynite who is living in London. Um, Judith Chuneik is a novelist. Um, she's lived in London since 1972, and she occasionally, it's been said, uh, has visions that call her to action. So she uh, she's born in 1934 into Brooklyn. She, we, she has a fabulous public education system, a good public transportation system. She grows up, she moves to Manhattan, and she's rearing her young children on the Upper West Side, really upper, uh, way up near Columbia and Barnard. So if you know Manhattan, that's kind of way out of anywhere near Midtown or the beginning of the Upper West Side. And um, she had this vision of trees, and she helped to get these trees planted. So now we're in the mid-80s. Uh, her children are probably not quite so young anymore. She's a novelist. She's sitting around with two uh, friends who have a uh, 
little group, Gerard Benson and Cicely Herbert, and she mentions this idea to post poetry on the underground. Um, and Gerard Benson, who was quoted in a, a New York Times article later, said that he felt the poetry had been hijacked by professors and locked up by libraries. So I guess they saw this as a somewhat liberating uh, for poetry, but also for regular people who weren't, you know, didn't feel that it, they had that exposure to poetry and also that poetry was somehow something special that they needed translation to even get. And this was, you know, breaking through that. Um, unlike other great ideas that sometimes take generations to be realized or hundreds of years to uh, be accomplished, poetry on the underground quickly went from idea to reality. It started in 1986, soon after that uh, chatty conversation. They contacted some underground executives and voila. I guess they had some serious credibility, maybe some good connections, um, somehow to break through so quickly. Anyway, uh, it didn't it didn't hurt that there was another American uh, looming in the wings and uh, that this was not going to be an expensive program. So this one American more I'll, I'll mention um, was someone who has the most English name I've ever heard. And yet he's a native Texan, Henry A. Fitzhugh. <laughs> who at the time uh, had, was a longtime London resident, and he was the underground's communication director. And he quickly um, saw the positive reception that he thought that the transit riders would give. Um, also quoting from the New York Times, the amount of, uh, Fitzhugh said, the amount of pub positive public exposure, say that three times fast, is far greater than we would get through TV advertising. For that money, you might get one small TV ad slot outside a main viewing time as opposed to getting thousands and thousands of your core audience seeing, you know, these poems at any one time. And he championed not only the poetry program, but also selling poetry posters that would be adorned with London scenes painted by artists uh, to hang in tube stations. And Fitzhugh said he saw poetry on transit both as decoration and as an inspiration for passengers. This was a cheap, effective public arts project. Uh, with help from the British government's supported Arts Council and books publishers and free spaces donated by the underground, uh, these three, Chernaik, uh, Benson, and, oh, Herbert, um, pick out some poems and turn this into reality. Writers responded so enthusiastically that the underground decided three years, uh, I guess, yes, about three years later, so about 1989 to foot most of the bill. Uh, the printing and the designing of the posters cost uh, about 10000 a year, and the whole thing uh, was less than... Um, Oh, I'm sorry, less, a little less than $20,000 American dollars. So even at that time, pretty cheap. And it was immediately popular. Lots of letters were received. Yes, in those pre-computer, uh, pre-smartphone uh, days, people sent actual paper letters with stamps. Um, many collections have been printed of some of the the poems, and more than 25 years after that, when there was a sort of a look at what had gone on, Trinaic and our, her colleagues were still 
around a table selecting a bunch of poems every few months. Um, and in 2020, almost 35 years after the launch in 1986, Trinaic wrote a piece for the British Council entitled Poems on the Underground Goes Online, in which she wrote that she was still participating on the selection committee, but there was now a more diverse group on that committee. And re readers can check the current poems on the Facebook page that uh, the London Underground keeps. Um, but what I love is Chernaik's, um metric for success, which I'm guessing that no public or private entity ever uses, but I think is a wonderful one. Um, she says that writers regularly steal the posters. They really have to love the poem, she said. It doesn't matter since extras are printed. Ah, isn't that great? And I have to tell you, I looked for um, American poem posters from any of our uh, programs here, and I did not see any. So if you see any, please let me know. I would post that. So this this London Underground Poetry Program is going uh, well. People are loving it. They're writing letters. It's getting noticed. And six years later, in 1992, New York City uh, became a copycat. And its transit agency, the MTA, uh, which covers New York City and its surrounding suburban transit systems, um, in partnership with the Poetry Society of America, launched that first iteration of Poetry in Motion. Um, and one thing to note about both London and New York City poetry programs is that only published poets are eligible. And we'll talk a little bit about that kind of thing later. Okay, so the first four poems that were selected were an interesting uh, mix. You have some really uh, what we would call classic poems and, and, and um, one, at that point, newer poem. These included uh, an excerpt from Crossing Brooklyn Ferry by Walt Whitman, who lived much of his life in Brooklyn. Hope is the Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson. When You Are Old by William Butler Yeats, and Let There Be New Flowering by Lucille Clifton. And I'm going to read a little bit of uh, two of these poems. Let There Be New Flowering. Let there be new flowering in the fields. Let the fields turn mellow for the men. Let the men keep tender through the time. Let the time be rested from the war, let the war be won, let love be at the end. Lucille Clifton lived from 1936 to 2010, so she was about the same era as uh, Ms. Chernaik. She was the Poet Laureate of Maryland, a graduate of Howard University, a native of Western New York who grew up in Buffalo. She had six children and she had a very varied career. So if you're at all interested, I would Google her. And two excerpts from Crossing Brooklyn Ferry by Walt Whitman. Um, this is a six-page poem, so I'm not going to read the entirety, nor did it appear uh, on Poetry in Motion in its entirety. So first about Walt Whitman, he lived from 1819 to 1892. 
He served as an aide in hospitals in Washington, D.C. during the Civil War, and a quote from one of his poems adorns the entry into the DuPont Circle metro station's northern entrance. And if you stand on that very long escalator, you will have enough time to read the entire inscription before heading down into the station. Uh, Whitman also wrote about seeing Lincoln, President Lincoln, in the streets of uh, D.C. during the war. He was also a journalist, and he lived most of his life, as I said, in Brooklyn. And I, I, I get a little delight from that since I am a native Brooklynite, so whenever I see that, I do highlight that. So, to the poem, Crossing Brooklyn Ferry. Flood tide below me, I see you face to face, clouds of the west, sun there, half an hour high, I see you also face to face. Crowds of men and women attired in the usual costumes, how curious you are to me. On the ferry boats, the hundreds and hundreds that cross, returning home, are more curious to me than you suppose. And you, that shall cross from shore to shore years hence, are more to me and more in my meditations than you might suppose. Others will enter the gates of the ferry and cross from shore to shore. Others will watch the run of the flood tide. Others will see the shipping of Manhattan north and west and the heights of Brooklyn to the south and east. Others will see the islands large and small. Fifty years hence, others will see them as they cross, the sun half an hour high. A hundred years hence, or ever so many hundred years hence, Others will see them, will enjoy the sunset, the pouring of the, of the flood tide, the falling back to sea of the ebb tide. Two years later, in 1994, so that's two years after the New York program began, Chernaic, uh, remember, always proud to be a native New Yorker, participated in an exchange of poems between uh, the London Poems on the Underground and New York's Poetry in Motion. And two of those uh, poems really demonstrate the range of poetry that has appeared in transit poetry projects. Uh, one was an old poem, Western Wind, whose original source is unknown. It was written down, but we don't know whether it was written down as a poem or as a song or as an excerpt from a larger piece that, that has been lost. It's been sung at least from the 1500s and has been included in some Catholic Latin masses. Western Wind, Thou Will Thou Blow, the small rain down can rain. Christ, my love, if my love were in my arms and I in my bed again. I really butchered that. I, I apologize. I'm reading the original Old English and trying to read it in sort of a new English. Um, boy, I should read that again. Western wind, when will thou blow? The small rain down can rain. Christ, if my love were in my arms, and I in my bed again. Doesn't sound like something you'd put in a mass, but anyway. And then uh, another one was a modern poem by Milton Kessler, entitled Thanks Forever. 
It was included in his 1990 book, The Grand Concourse. If you don't know The Grand Concourse, it was it's a major street in the Bronx, although Kessler, I found, grew up in Brooklyn. My, my mother-in-law uh, actually lived on The Grand Concourse. Okay, so thanks forever. It's a very different New York and a very different uh, sensibility than crossing Brooklyn Ferry. And it begins. Look at those empty ships floating north between south running ice like big tulips into the narrows under the Verrazano toward the city harbor. I'm parked here out of work all year. No hurry now and sleep badly, but I'm self-employed. My new job's to wave them in. Hello, freighter. Hello, tanker. Welcome. Welcome to New York. And if you don't know the Narrows and the Verrazano, the Verrazano is a very long suspension bridge, once the longest in the world, and it goes between Brooklyn and Staten Island. Um, on a very clear day, uh, you can see it from Manhattan, uh, and you used to be able to see it from the World Trade Center observation deck. So within a few years of Poetry in Motion's inception in New York City, poetry programs began to blossom in other cities um, in partnership with local transit systems across the United States and Canada in places large and small. So big cities like Seattle, Atlanta, Dallas, uh, Salt Lake City, the Twin Cities of uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul, but also smaller cities like Columbus, Ohio, Boise, Hartford, Little Rock, the Pioneer Valley in Western Massachusetts, Fresno, California, Portland, Oregon, and Portland, Maine, and Moscow, Idaho, and I'm sure I've skipped some. It appears statewide today in Rhode Island, and Vancouver, British Columbia has an active program called Poetry on Transit. About eight years ago, there was a poetry transit project that appeared across many Canadian cities, and it didn't look like it was still going on. Europe as well has embraced uh, the idea of poetry on transit with programs in Moscow, Glasgow, Helsinki, Oslo, Dublin, Stuttgart, and St. Petersburg, among others. About five years ago in China, there was uh, an ongoing cultural event called Poetry on the Metro, which was sponsored by the British Council and had both British and Chinese poetry posted in English and Chinese characters. And if you go down that rabbit hole a little bit, you see that there's um, a great love for Shakespeare in China, which I didn't know. Completely ignorant of that. Um, so a, a theme that I noticed in my research um, on this topic is the restlessness that seems to creep into, I suppose, any arts program, but this type of arts program, you know, it's been going and it's successful, so why keep it the same? Why not <laughs> change it? And sometimes for the better and sometimes uh, not always. Um, so. I'll talk a, talk a little bit about New York City first, uh, and then go to some other cities where poetry on transit uh, type programs have appeared. So one of the reasons I go first to New York City is that unlike other cities, New York has a, a very combative, shall we say, media, um, not afraid to talk about the warts. Um, 
warts and pimples of the city as opposed to some other cities where there's more of a sense of almost like press release and boosting sometimes when you read articles about the arts. Um, so going to back to 2008, so at this point uh, we have the Poetry and Transit program has been going for a, a good time. Uh, so it's about 16 years at that point. The director of marketing for the uh, transit system in New York City was at that point a former uh, English teacher at Brooklyn College. And she's in a meeting uh, with the uh, executive director of the Poetry Society of America. The um, Poetry Society director thinks they're going to be selecting new poems for the next, you know, few months. And in this face-to-face -face meeting, she's uh, confronted with something a little bit different. This um, director of marketing wants to put a different stamp on the program and wants to transform it. Um, and what she wants to do is... Um, retire Poetry in Motion in favor of something called Train of Thought, which did start and was a program that posted excerpts from essays on transit instead of whole portions or excerpts from, from, uh, from poems. And she says somewhere, I'm trying to see where I quoted it, uh, that she basically thought, this, this marketing director basically thought that they had gone through sort of the sum total of the range of poetry. You know, why have more? Uh, but the poetry executive did not take this well. Um, she was someone who was very established. She was a former um, poetry editor for The New Yorker for 20 years. So she was a, a poetry legend in her own right, and she was not going to take this sitting down. And... Um, she tries immediately to to get this, you know, restarted, which ultimately she did. Um, in 2012, Poetry in Motion uh, starts reappearing and it begins pairing the selected poems with artwork uh, on poetry posters. Train of Thought, that, that essay uh, program, did not last. It was never as well received as the poetry. And the poetry collections have uh, been, appeared in a few books um, since then. In May of 2020, uh, the MTA and the Poetry Society of America, so this is well into the pandemic at this point and after that horrible first few months in New York when everything shut down, ambulance sirens all the time, people knocking on uh, pots and pans and shouting, uh, you know, in the early evening to show their appreciation for public transportation workers and medical workers. So, uh, New York was still really going through a very hard time in May of last year. Um, Poetry Society and the MTA were working together to select poems uh, to reflect the complex reality brought on by the coronavirus and the difficulties that the city uh, was enduring. An example was given in a three-line poem by W.S. Merwin. It's called Separation. Your absence has gone through me like thread through a needle. Everything I do is stitched with its color. And if that doesn't uh, talk about 
how you feel the absence of a loved one. I don't know what does. Um, and I have links to all of the poems. So uh, if you want to look any of them up. So both in New York and other cities, the trend uh, in the last decade or so has been away from solely established, and I use that in quotes, poets to local ones, and also to intentional outreach to a diversity of uh, voices and populations. Um, and with this shift of direction, there's also been a trend toward integrating this kind of transit uh, poetry projects with other uh, public performance, art, and festivals. So going all the way back to 22, uh, in Manchester, England, they were using bus, bus stops, uh, bus shelters for poetry readings. And in 2006, the transit system in the Pittsburgh area, the Port Authority of Allegheny County, adorned the outside of its buses with poetry. And I'll say sometimes with silly ones, if you want to look those up. In Indianapolis in 2006, local poets were selected for the poems that were posted on buses, and those poets also gave performances on along two bus routes at the and at the Indianapolis Fringe Festival, which I think is wonderful because if you're doing it on the buses or at bus shelters, you're kind of creating the performance aspect as well, and I think really attracting maybe people who wouldn't ordinarily ride buses. Um, King County Metro in the Seattle area, which still has a poetry on transit program, that's also in our show notes. Uh, there are community liaisons who work collaboratively with local poets and Poetry on Buses staff to shape bilingual workshops tailored to the needs of Seattle and King County's diverse communities. Um, a little sip of coffee there. Um, and these workshops focus on Chinese, Ethiopian, Punjab, Spanish-speaking, African-American, and Tlingit communities. And I hope I'm not mispronouncing anything. There was also a theme of the topic of water justice and water conservation. The poems also explored themes such as rain, memory, family, and discovery. And the poems are written in eight languages. Isn't that wonderful? Amharic, which uh, is from Ethiopia, Chinese, English, Punjabi, Russian, Spanish, Tlingit, and Vietnamese. And they create a record of local voices, including youth, indigenous, and African-American poets. And that's um, partly from that website that I've, I've quoted there. So our final poem is from the King County's Four Culture Poetry on Buses program. And it's called Root, Root by Michelle Penazola. And Root... The first root is spelled R-O-O-T, and the second one R-O-U-T. R-O-U-T-E, excuse me, showing my masterly spelling skills there. So um, sort of that play on the, on, the, on the homonym, and I'm going to get that up here and read that to you. It's very brief. Water, the first and only root, and so are roots and namings. Tau, people of the current, Taga Ilag, river folk, Mainila, place of water, lilies. No surprise that my mother landed in a cold hand, surrounded by lakes eerie and superior. No surprise, I found my way to the sound.
And remember that all of the poems I've read today, as well as uh, sources of information, are listed in the show notes. Our sources today were mostly culled from journal and newspaper archives with a very uh, special shout out to uh, the New York Times uh, and poetry and transit agency websites. And thank you to all of the poets whose poems appear on all these buses bus shelters, uh, subway cars, subway stations. This is really wonderful. I, I did try to look for the poems, at least um, that have appeared in New York um, in, in um, posters, but I did not see them on either the Transit Museum website or the Poetry Society of America website. So if I am in error there, please correct me. I would love to see some of those and maybe even to buy one. What a nice present. Uh, so I will leave you today still drinking my coffee and have a wonderful day. And if you haven't been on a bus or train in a while, please go on one and look for the poetry there and maybe you'll find a nice gem uh, along the way. Thank you very much and goodbye from Altered Mobility. Oh, you're a sorry.